everybody. Welcome to the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. We are here. We are back with another episode, dope episode with our Love and Restoration series. Um, inshallah, it is. It will take a minute for it to come over on social media. But I ask my my guests um, that are here, as well as my co-hosts, once you see it, go ahead and do me the honor of sharing it to your personal pages, um, inshallah. But as um, the audience members come in, please go ahead and give your salams, give your salam so we can greet you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum, Vincent. Thank you for gracing us with your salams first and foremost. Welcome back to the Adult Muslim Woman Podcast. And I'm super excited because we have reached the end of Love and Restoration. Um, and we've saved one of the best um, for last, um, subhanAllah. Um, Sorry, I apologize. We have saved one of the best podcast um, episodes, um, and it is Love's Triumph, mashallah. And I am joined here, walaikum salam, Zahra, and I am joined here. I'm so happy and humbled to be welcomed back with my lovely, lovely co-hosts. I would like to officially say salam to Yasmin and Ziada. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. Okay. And as you guys know, the lovely, lovely Ziada, she's back here. She's been here all throughout Love and Restoration, as well as all throughout our podcast. And we know that she is an entrepreneur. She is a hair expert. She owns Hair by Ziada. She is an author of More uh, Stresses, Tresses, Less Stresses. Um, um, did I say that right? More Tresses, Less Stresses? Did I say that right, Diana? More tresses, less stress. Less stress, yes. Mm -hmm. Amongst so many other dope things that she does. Welcome back, Ziada. Thank you for being here for this culminating episode. Thank you for having me. It's always my honor to join the panel on the Dope Muslim on the podcast. I'm grateful to be here. Alhamdulillah. And I'm also joined by my special but special friend. She's also graced us here so many times and we absolutely love and are obsessed with her perspective. Yasmin Hamid is the owner of Spirit Foods and she also does so many dope things in Atlanta as, along with having her own podcast with her son. Um, and we just are so happy to have you back. Assalamu alaikum, Yasmin. Welcome back to the show. Wa alaikum salam and thank you again for having me. It's always an honor. MashaAllah. And I am humbled. Assalamualaikum, everybody. Hi. How you guys doing? Um, I'm so humbled. I'm going to introduce um, our phenomenal guests um, here with us tonight. This couple, MashaAllah, we were just sharing with them. And um, I'm so happy. I know you guys are going to absolutely fall in love with them. Um, they've been together for eight years. They are the parents of two children. They live out there in Texas. They are um, ABS advisors. And they offer financial literacy to others, and they're um, also into home banking as licensed agents, among so many other things. They also are dog breeders, which is interesting, and traders. I would like to officially welcome Brother Elijah and his wife, um, Fatima, to the show. Assalamu alaikum, you guys. Alaikum How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing We're doing well. Yes, uh, Excited to be here and, you know, really uh, grateful for the opportunity to uh, share. And uh, I really hope that our story helps somebody else be able to open up and uh, not be afraid to uh, be able to help others heal while healing themselves. 
Absolutely. I appreciate you guys for being here. And Brother Elijah and Sister Fatima, I love how you guys are set up where Fatima's kind of like in the front and Brother Elijah, you kind of lean back. But Brother Elijah, would you mind coming up just a little bit so you can equally share space? <laughs> I love what it represents, but I would like to see both of you guys. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to get right into this discussion. Um, you know, subhanAllah, like love's triumph, you know, this particular podcast episode, it was birthed between um, um, Fatima and I, actually, we had a lot of dialogue uh, about this sort of topic. And I was sort of intrigued by you guys' story and so much of what you've been through and how you guys are still enduring. And not only that, you guys are thriving, business owners and building at this phase. So it's really inspirational. But you know, life never hands you things that you can't um, that you can't handle, right? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said He doesn't place a burden on us bigger than we can bear, right? Um, I wanted to just start out at the beginning, first and foremost. How did you guys meet? Let's first start there. How did, how did you guys meet? What's the story? <laughs> well, from my perspective, um, so I was still in high school. Uh, high school uh, junior yeah mm -hmm. senior um and I was walking home from school and it was snowing outside and this was when we lived in Colorado and he caught my attention by yelling at me saying hey and I was like what is that who is that and I was um actually <laughs> going to go drop off some dope and so uh, well, it was, uh, we were actually I was sitting there outside in Montbello, which is uh, my gang's territory that I'm from back home in Colorado. And so well, as I was uh, having one of my people go inside and make a run, uh, I seen her walking down the street. And that's when I said, hey. Okay, so you pulled the old school approach of just, hey, what's up? And that that yeah. that worked for, that worked for you. Okay, subhanAllah. And um, you know, thank you for your transparency and and regarding just where you guys were in that space and what you were sort of um going through, brother Elijah. We're gonna get into that um in a minute. Yasmin, I'm gonna allow you to kind of segue into the next um next point. So there's been a lot of conversations about trust during this series, you know, and uh, it, it usually plays a huge factor in our ability to adequately connect with each other. How did you all establish trust in your relationship? Ooh. I'm sorry, can you ask the question you again? Kind of, yeah, it kind of glitched a little bit. How did you all establish trust in your relationship? You know for me, it was um, I'm I've always been the kind of person that I don't try to force anybody to uh, be who they aren't. Uh, one of the ways I was thought you can always trust everybody, and what that meant was that um, what's already inside of a person will come out of them, and um, you don't have to. Uh, be in anybody's phone or any of that, you know, the, the, the truth of a person will come to life. And so uh, as well, when we first got together, um, because of the things I did have going on, um, I didn't uh, reveal a lot of the things that I was a part of either. So being that um, I was out doing what I was doing and running around because I never, uh, 
look like the type of person to do the things that I was doing. And so, uh, like they what, what I would call was false face, you know. I looked really, really good on the outside, but there was a whole lot of garbage going on on the back end. Mm. And so... And um, just to be clear, Brother Elijah, so we don't beat around the bush, during that time, you were involved in the streets. So you were engaged in yeah. some sort of drug dealing and, and, and gang, gang banging, to put it briefly. Yeah, well, I was heavily involved in the streets. Like, mm-hmm. for me, like, I'm one for one on Google. Like, if you look me up, I've been uh, arrested for years and I've been to the fans. Uh, I was number 21 on the most wanted list. I've, I haven't been out there, so... Um, and then also, too, just, I'm an MMA fighter, too, so I was all the way rough. You know, I even just had a cage fight last year in Dallas. Um, that was so So I was just, in general, I've just always been really, really rough. But um, those were the things that we had going on. And so for trust-wise, I was like, I'm not the best. So, you know, I'm going to trust you to be as good as you can be, and then we'll just try to work it out from there. And then what that ended up segueing to as we got older was realizing like, hey, this ain't gonna work. And so mm-hmm. we have to start establishing some kind of protocols and you know being more open with each other and figuring things out. And then so what that turned into was um, really taking our um, relationship back into more of a friendship phase and relearning each other. Mm-hmm. And um, really trying to be as honest about everything that we had ever done to one another as possible and every secret that we had kept from one another so that way we could actually know who we were dealing with because I realized neither one of us was being fair to one another and that we had to um, be bring, bring full transparency. Wow, powerful. Ziada, powerful, powerful, powerful. Um, can you explain how incarceration played a role in your relationship? How did you establish trust um, and what were some cr- critical ingredients? Okay, um, so how the incarceration played a uh, part for me was um, right uh, two weeks after we had our first son, Noah, um, Elijah, he had gotten arrested. And so I had went through kind of a phase of um, being hurt and like, okay, well now I have to take care of this this kid by myself. And I already wasn't in a good uh, place with living with my mom. At one point I had to, um, I was actually staying in the apartment we had together um, before I had Noah, but afterward I had to live with my mom because she was going to be closer to be able to help me with Noah while Elijah was gone, because he was in a halfway halfway house at the time, too. And so, um, um, when it came to my the trust factor, being that I didn't have him, and we didn't really, like, before we had gotten pregnant, we hadn't really known each other long. It was only like a few months that we were dating. And so once he was gone and the issues that I did have with my mom, there was no trust there with my mom. Like, yeah, you know, love and all that stuff. But I had, I was seeking male attention 
from the hurt and pain that I had. And so I never really um, was able to build relationships to be able to be like, okay, I trust you, you, and you. I had aunts that I trusted, but I never really, like, built relationships to be able to um, really have that trust factor in there. And so once um, once he got home, uh, like he said, you know, having to be, like, go into learning each other again and going back into that friendship stage, it was like, okay, well, what are, what are, what are one of the things that we could do to um, help build our trust back, which was that um, telling each other the secret, like, and being that he's like literally the only person that I've ever, ever really like told everything to, I was still holding stuff back because of the hurt that I had went through and the insecurities um, while he was gone. Hmm. You know, that's, that's really powerful. I wanted to just, you know, just make sure that I, I understand and, and can acknowledge um, first and foremost, you know, when you're meeting someone that is, um, and just to be frank, you know, involved in a life that um, doesn't, necessarily breed honesty would that would that be fair elijah would that be a fair statement that the life you're in okay um and so when you align you know with this woman this dope woman that um sure at some point you wanted to spend the rest of your life with you know did you intentionally make a choice to be dishonest with her to lie to her to sort of kind of reel her in was there deception and even in that process or just wondering for, for me, it wasn't necessarily like a uh, a real end thing because it was everything I said that I did mention was true. I did have a business. I did, you know, have my own things going on. It's just the real money came from the stuff on the back end. And so I would mention the, the things that I was doing on the front end and because all of those things were actually there and present. It was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I didn't have to bring in. And so what, what, what changed thing is um, when uh, she became pregnant with uh, Noah, um, one of the things I had never wanted to do was do what was done to me by my father. My father went to the feds when I was seven. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, hey, uh, this is what I have going on. And I'm in real deep, you know. Uh, and then when I started uh, bringing out the other things that were going on. Mm -hmm. And for you, Fatima, at that point, did you feel really deceived and lied to? Because you were already about to have a baby with somebody that you weren't too clear um, on. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt deceived, um, but. I was also hurt because I wasn't sure, like hurt and, and afraid because I didn't want to, okay, so like, what if you, you know, somebody, you know, what if the feds just busted in here right now and took you away, so then now, you know, but I mean, it still ended up happening, but it's just that, that feeling of being deceived and then also um, being afraid of, you know, what could happen. Mm, powerful. 
And Liz, I wanted to just um, really quick touch base, if that's okay, um, Elijah and, F- and Fatima with Yasmin and Ziada, because I know, you know, as Black women and as as uh, as as us that were raised, I mean, Ziada, we had this conversation just before. I mean, you grew up in Baltimore, you know, I I, mean, I was raised in New Jersey, but I still am, am from Philadelphia. Um, yes, I'm Yasmin, Oakland, right? Oakland. So inner inner cities. And um, just, you know, the impact of, you know, sort of uh, the street life, the prison industrial system on our families, on our black men. Um, so I wanted to just touch base with you guys and see, um, first starting with you, Ziada, um, how do you feel in regards to just um, hearing of this sort of experience and then just relating it to just experiences that we know up close and personal in our own families and the men in our lives? when it comes to just the street life and um, just the impact that it has on us as black women? Um, you know, personally, uh, my brother has been in and out of jail um, for years. And I, I think that um, it, it definitely pl- plays a huge role in the family. Um, you know, my we came from the typical two-parent home and um, we, it was one of those things that my mother always would tell my brother that he was aligning himself with boys whose oftentimes their household didn't reflect how our household was being ran. And, um, you know, that she wanted him to be a leader and not a follower, right? But my brother was also searching for something more, right? And that's a lot of times what you find and when you go into the street, like the brother spoke about, his father left him at such a very young age, right? Where he really needed a male role model. And so many young male, black males that join gangs and get into the street life is because it's a family for them. It's a family, it's a sense of protection. You know, in the inner city, and you know, sometimes my son has had to deal with this, you know, that it's lions in, in the inner city and they are trying and wolves in the pack that are trying to get you, right? And they're trying to see if you're weak and whether or not you're strong enough to endure the test that they come at you. And if the pull is really strong in the the city, the kid could have such a good nature and they see that as weakness and they'll prey on it, you know? And so oftentimes they are the ones that are initiated into the gang life, right? And again, you're thinking that this is your family and it's one of the hardest things to ever get out of getting into the street. My brother just got out of jail, you know? And one of the things that he said was like, he kept trying to get a job, kept trying to get a job. And sometimes he would get the job, but it wasn't paying what you're used to in the street. You get used to that fast money and it's really hard to come back out of it. And it has taken a toll on our family. You know, I'm not as close as, as I would like to be with my brother because there's so many elements that come with that, you know? And I had to make sure that that did impact me in my path, you know, and now I have a son and I mean, his father's not like, you know, his father's never been in the street and I just didn't want him to see that side. Even though my brother has very honest conversations with him now about making sure that he never sees that as in something that's enticing because as anyone knows, Baltimore City is no joke. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. And um, I'm going to jump over to you, Elijah, in a second, but I'm just going to get a quick um, input from Yasmin, um, just experiences. Sister Kalita, she shared, it's also hard for us as sisters when a brother has a criminal mm-hmm. record, it's hard to discern, is his brother a criminal or just unfortunate? And I guess even, you know, our mindset around it, which Elijah, I'm going to have you speak to that in a minute. But Yasmin, 
just our experience as Black women. Um, yeah, so my, my experience is interesting. Um, I share a lot of the same things as Yada mentioned. I've been the wife of a, a man that was in prison, you know, several times in and out. And I also have siblings that have been in and out of prison as well. So I, I feel that those experiences actually taught me to love black men in a, in a different way that had experienced those things. Cause some of them ended up there without their, without doing anything wrong. If they were wrongly, you know, chosen to be in prison. And so they had to learn how to keep their minds clear and keep themselves safe in certain ways to get out. You know what I mean? And it taught me how to love in a different way because I hadn't been prepared to love a person who had to be in that type of situation. So I would say that was one of the most important things for me is it taught me to love a, a black man in, in a different way and also to pay attention to those young men who may, you know, find that as a situation that they're facing and help them to prevent it, you know, before they end up there or help them to be armed if they do end up in that type of situation so they don't end up just falling totally apart. Mm -hmm. That was my experience. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And for Brother Elijah, I just wanted to come, come, you know, come back to you because you're the one with the experience. Um, and um, when Sister Kalita mentioned that for women, it's sometimes hard to decide if the brother is a criminal or just unfortunate. I just wanted to know, what did, what did you think about that? What do you think about even that sort of perspective that us as sisters sort of have when we hear a brother has been imprisoned? Um, so this is deep and it goes into the sense that there is a social engineering that is taking place here in America. And we understand that um, there are pressures that are being put on black men and to be a black man is the most dangerous thing to be in America because there has been this position even in the media now to where they want to take away our masculinity. There's movements where it's like, you know, I, I can function and be just fine without a man. And then um, it takes away the fact that it's scientifically proven just from the vocals of a man while a child is in the womb that those help with brain development. And so understanding that even this whole slave engine from before was built off of the black the backs of black men. And so there's been a breaking that has consistently happened, right? And so everybody in the conditions of what we call here in America, uh, who is of our same hue, are unfortunate. The thing is though, is that there does need to be discernment and understanding is the brother have potential to be able to dig himself out of this situation? Or is this one of the brothers who just become a predator himself? Because a lot of people play predatory roles in different ways. And so for me and where I come from, even as a part of that world, there's a lot of people I didn't hang with because I've still been a person who believes in honor and understanding even though the warped sense of honor that I needed help correcting, you know, I didn't believe in hurting your own. I didn't believe in victimizing people that weren't a part of anything. I didn't believe in beating on women or anything like that. And so you would see a certain character of men that would be different. And so a lot of times there is a hard time in our culture where um, 
women of our culture, it seems, have a hard time differentiating between men and boys. And so speaking from my own personal perspective, um, I never got into the life because I thought it was a cool to do. When I was going through the public miseducation and having teachers try to tell me how I should behave, but I can physically see that they're miserable, and then having my mother tell me what I need to do to be successful, but she's not doing the same thing, I know there's a disconnect somewhere. And then growing up as well, like I'm bilingual, you know, yo entiendo español, yo aprendí español en la escuela de idioma in Colorado. And so I grew up with that. I grew up with friends that were Jewish in the synagogues and things like that. And I would see how as a unit, they move so much different than ours. But I noticed that whenever I was around these people, they would be like, well, what's that nigger doing here? You know, and so these are other constructs that take place and play on the man. And so it's like, well, how do I, I know? And I know for a fact there's a barrier here. And, you know, they say don't pull the black card, but the truth of the matter is the hue of my skin really does matter. And yeah. so I just did what I did in the best way I understood in order to uh, reach something because that's not where I wanted to stay. And so without making this too long winded, is when you talk to a person, ask why they're doing what they're doing, just like with the business. It's the why. Yeah. And the yeah. why says a lot. Yeah. And so my why is what helped me do what I'm doing now and helped me get out of the streets and helped me even take several of my friends out of the streets because I was never there because I thought it was cool. I was trying mm -hmm. to find a way out where other people are there because they're weak, broken, think it's cool, whatever those other misconceptions are. Powerful. I really appreciate um, you speaking to that, brother. Um, that's okay. I'm just going to mute everyone for a quick second. Um, but I wanted to just, you know, um, take a moment, if that's okay, before we segue into just so, sort of some of the other challenges and just triumph. This is so, so important. Um, but, uh, you know, Fatima, I know you spoke to some of the trauma and some of the pain, um, but a lot of times we don't, there's so much judgment that is sometimes um, delivered and offered to women that decide to, you know, stand by um, their, their men in prisons or, or those that decide to endure. Um, how did you navigate the judgment and the pain altogether um, when your um, husband was away? So um, pretty much how, like, I didn't really handle it. I just, I, I got into a state where once he was gone and I had went through um, um, issue with my mom where she like literally pretty much told me to move out of the house. Mm -hmm. And so I have this newborn baby. I didn't have nowhere, anywhere to go. And so I um, ended up, uh, ended up moving into, it was, it was pretty much a group home. I didn't know it was a group home until after the fact, but it was a group home for single moms. And um, that didn't really last long. It lasted a few weeks because um, someone had went into my room and sold some of my son's clothes. And so I'm like, well, if they're willing to go in there while he's sleeping to take some clothes, there's no telling what else they'll be willing to do. So my best friend ended up letting me go stay with her. Okay. And um, so I'm, I was staying with her for a few months, and 
Um, her mom had got tired of me staying there. Um, but mind you, my whole, I was still in the, okay, let me try to do what I can, get me a job and, you know, do my best to take care of my son and do So you were right. on survival mode. You were on survival yeah. mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then I moved to Oklahoma because her mom, you know, I didn't have anywhere to stay. So I went back to live with my mom because she moved to Oklahoma. Um, and once I got to Oklahoma, I was like, okay, well, what I'm trying is not working. Um, I did, you know, start working. I got my own apartment, but it was, you know, things were hard. And so I had gotten, I had, uh, caught up, um, a guy that I had knew in high school and, um, that's, pretty much uh uh handled that situation in infidelity and ended up getting pregnant with uh my second son and now you know we're here yeah no no i i no i appreciate your i appreciate your honesty don't be gentle with yourself i appreciate your honesty and that's a very real experience. I mean, you're in survival mode, you know, um, and trying to figure it out. Um, and um, I, I know that was was super super hard. Elijah, what what did you go through when you heard about it? Uh, cried. Um, you cried. Oh uh, uh, yeah, you did said, I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was it was rough, especially like during the time when. I found out she was um, pregnant. We actually had a riot on the yard and uh, we were having a race war. And so I was already trying everything I could just to survive and try to make it home and everything like that. And then hearing that, you know, it was like a lot of things crashing down at the same time. And I was mad at her, but I also understood too, because, you know, I put myself in a position to be away. And so I couldn't call the kettle black. Um, and even though um, for me growing up, how I grew up, you know, um, watching my mom go through what she went through um, in a very abusive uh, household and everything like that, you know, my mom was beat so we couldn't recognize it. And uh, I can understand, you know, how women can feel trauma and go through what they go through. And I ended up traumatizing her by uh, going away. So I was like, you know, I can't, I can't really be too mad or, or be unrealistic and not try to forgive and, and work this out if there's a way to. SubhanAllah, beautiful. All right, I'm gonna jump on over to you, Ziada. Um, yeah, a lot was shared, huh? Yeah, a lot of shit. I, I, I mean, first and foremost, I honor you all for just being so transparent, you know, about what you all have experienced and just showing mercy toward one another, you know, and understanding that, you know, people make mistakes. And like you said, that you went away and she had to find a way to be able to take care of a child and things of that nature, you know, so I honor that for sure. Um, the next question that we have is, um, what are some ways couples can manage challenges in their relationship? How do we establish boundaries and how do you identify deal breakers? 
And, and that's a lot. So we can start with managing the challenges in the relationship. Um, so on this one, I had um, took more charge on this one and helping each other figure this out because I had um, I had went through a, uh, a cognitive development program and then I was reading as many books on psychology as I could to figure out how to to uh, fix what was going on in here and then. I had um, got into back into the dean really hard because I had um, strayed away from Islam, obviously. And so um, I had to really get back heavy and figure out um, how do we get through this. And so um, I had said at times like, hey, okay, uh, Let's journal, let's um, share, like I, cause at the time she wasn't Muslim yet. And um, I said, I think this is probably one of the things that was causing an issue as well, because I strayed away from Islam and was doing all the haram acts that I was doing. And I didn't, I wasn't acting in the way I should. And um, having Islam at the forefront of our relationship anyway, being that she's half my dean, so I said, let me do my best to um, introduce her to the dean as well. And so, you know, we would read the Quran and um, we had to really set healthy structures. And so also changing the way we spoke, um, we wouldn't be like, hey, you know, um, and she said exactly right, emotional intelligence. We wouldn't be like, hey, I feel like you're doing this, this and this because that, that feeling isn't helping with your rational thinking and being irrational is what caused us to earn in a lot of the ways that we did in the first place. So, you know, really, you know, going over those guides. And then I had read this book. Um, I read several books, but um, one of the best ones that I had read was um, the uh, Five Love Languages. And yeah. it had dawned on me because I've always been an avid e reader, even when I was, you know, um, doing what I was doing, I never stopped reading, and it would trip people out. But I thought about how I would read so much about business, but I would never take time to read about relationships and raising children. And so I started eating up relationship books, and I realized that you can never change anybody else. You can only change yourself and then be the best yourself that you can be and help guide that, and that's where we went from. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I love that you said, because I think I even still struggle with this, y'all, ladies. I don't know, but I love that you said that you changed the language instead of saying, like, I feel, because I'm big on, like, I feel, listen, you know, but you're right. Sometimes that there's like blockage there. Wouldn't you agree, Yasmin? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's yeah. you got to pay attention to words becoming thoughts become things, you know, and you think things over and over and they become what you do. So, it's important that you control the narrative of what you say. So I'm proud of y'all for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. I wanted to just ask about establishing boundaries because it sounds like at the beginning, there was really kind of like no boundary more. So there was a lot that happened. Like you said, a lot of violations. And how did you get to the point where you're like, okay, we're reestablishing boundaries in our relationship? What are your boundaries? Um, well, I so I was still in a 
you know, my fuzzy stages of being checked out. But when I realized um, one of the boundaries that we did set was the no keeping secret. No matter, like, just because of, you know, um, the infidelity, it happened twice. And so that second time, just being like, okay, well, we have to move in a different way. Um, no secrets. Um, we both have to make sure that we're, you know, practicing Islam. Um, and if if there's a lie, then it has to be something that was to like protect. Like, because I know um, on one of the episodes I heard you all talking. Mm-hmm. Um, a big issue, child. That was a big issue, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, just the like keeping the secrets and mm-hmm. like the protecting. So we went through a phase where um, he wouldn't tell me how I was um, acting, like you know things that he would see that I would do, and you know, and he did it to protect my feelings. But these were big things in our relationship that um, needed to be addressed. And I think like, that one probably shouldn't be glossed over. Really. Yeah. To be more specific, so the, the second infidelity was because, like, I knew she still had emotional attachments and things going on with uh, our youngest son's father. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was like, all right, I've. I've done so many things to so many people, you know, I have to do my best to, you know, be understanding in this situation. And so even though I knew that there was something going on and certain things, I was, I was, I would stay quiet about certain stuff because I was like, let me just focus on building more and and then see if we can do and work past it. And so that was where I didn't want her to um, go back into a huge state of depression and make what we were working on fall apart. So mm. I would just not say certain things about certain stuff, even though I knew something wasn't right about different things. Was it was it though a, f- a fear of loss though, fear of losing her, fear of abandonment? Was that sort of no, because for me, okay. like, uh, I've always, there's, I have, it's one of my favorite quotes, quotes and it's, uh, the man who can stand to be alone is either a beast or a god. And I've had to do so much solitary confinement um, and things like that. I had to learn to be okay to be alone. So it was nothing to do with that. It was like, I understand how terrible I was as a person prior to us being together. Like, I guess to put that in more context, um, I was the boogeyman back home. Like I was the guy that you would be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if somebody was like, hey, you know, this dude over here was snitching this and that, oh, we're gonna go handle that right now. Yeah. And so I've done so many wrongs that I was like, <laughs> I have no room to not try my hardest to try to build and, and create and do the right thing. And so it was more of a, I need to develop a backbone and this is my test to become um, the man that I really want to be. Wow. 
powerful. Powerful. Yes, me. And I'm going to bring you back in um, to, to sort of ask a question. Wow. This is a lot. And you all have experienced so many things. I want to know, what are some tools that you established along the way to stay committed? Because you've been through so much and so many things that have caused you to possibly want to throw in the towel and just say, you know what, this is too much. What are some mm -hmm. practical tools that you can share with our guests that you've established in your relationship to stay committed to one another? Um, I would say a very, very practical one is make sure that you are actively seeking therapy together and mm. that your health is not taboo. Say it again, brother, so that all the men can hear Therapy together and do not make, especially as a culture too, we have, like, this is one of the best, like, I'm very frank, so I'm gonna just put it blunt. White folks have put mental health and made it seem like it's only for them. And then in our culture, we make it seem like if you wanna see a psychiatrist, there's something wrong with you already, and so you should just go ahead and go to the loony bin. But the thing is, is that we are continuing, I mean, like, look at what they put on the news. You don't see white bodies dying every day, you see black bodies dying every day. Absolutely. And so, mental health is one of the biggest factors that hold our community back and so dealing with relationships with each other and all the things that we're going through like there has to be that kind of communication and it has to if you need it somebody to help that's outside of you that can look into that those are things that are important you know like even with my sister my sister lives with us as well and whatever we go through she knows it too and so she can call us both out like hey i see this i see that you know Wow, powerful. And my sister was going to school for psychology too, so. Mashallah, Mashallah. I have another question, but I want to hear from um, before I ask it. I do want to ask one more thing though, but can you answer that same question, sis? What are some tools you feel like you all put in place? So um, for me, um, because I had um, joined um, the teachings in Islam, Islam uh, the beginning of last year. It's actually been a year now. Um, oh, and so, thank you. <laughs> um, once I started um, and actually really been able to really, because at the beginning, I wasn't really fully practicing like I am now. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until um, uh, Oh, yeah. It wasn't until Ramadan that, you know, going through the fasting and really been able to open my mind up more to a lot of things that I was able I was able to see a lot of things that I needed to work on within myself. So just actively seeking and seeking out things that you need to work on within yourself and also holding yourself accountable because if you're not holding yourself accountable for those things, then it'll slip through the cracks and you'll fall right back into those things, the, the uh, healing that you did get through. So my other question actually is about accountability. I, I wanna know, how do you all avoid not blaming each other for, for things? Because there's some things you could blame each other for and it could be a source of heated discussions. I'm trying to understand, how do you all avoid that? 
Um, one for me, can avoid it. <laughs> for me, um, I guess just uh, because we, you know, just have an understanding with each other, but also um, now that I'm not thinking with my feelings, I'm able to actually logically think. Okay, how? What am I doing in this situation that's you know making it this way, and what is he doing? But what I'm doing, I would approach that first instead of what he's doing wrong. Because usually, like, a majority, a huge majority of the time, like, literally, whenever I do point something out that I'm doing, he points something out that he's doing wrong. Mm. And we just bring it together and have that understanding, and then we go from there and repair and fix what needs to be fixed. Wow, self, that self-reflection, that's really, really powerful. I'm going to be honest, I'm bringing this in, I'm bringing to go to Uziata, but Sister Kalita, she just wanted to keep it a whole buck with all of us. She said, to be honest, you guys are better than her. I couldn't have overcome all the hurdles. I would have bailed. No disrespect. <laughs> but I, she said, no disrespect, but I wouldn't be able to trust the relationship anywhere, anymore. Any words of um, insight for Sister Kalita? <laughs> um. So with that, it's, and it's understandable because you shouldn't, you shouldn't ignore red flags because that's not what we did. And you shouldn't be engaged with someone who's not actively working to be better. Mm. That's the difference though. And so, the difference is, is that one one of the things that I've always been really good at is is seeing things inside of people that can't see inside themselves. Yeah. And so I saw the queen that she could become if there was the opportunity for the guidance to flourish through that. And then so. I can also understand it differently because I know what it's like to be overlooked for so many things. Like there's a, there's a, they had put a poster in all Denver public schools of me reading to my second grade class. I was in an all white school and I was the only kid that could read and I could read full chapter books. And I've always had an extremely high um, reading level as well as a uh, comprehension level. And they wanted to accelerate me in classes. But also the thing that came along with that comprehension was I could comprehend BS when I saw it too. And so um, I knew that I didn't want nobody to pass up over me when I had potential in me because now I'm in a position to where, you know, I trade, I trade uh, stocks, bonds, I do options, I'm, in, I'm involved in you know, uh, having the ability to teach people how to get away from the central bank and, and get away from credit and, and, and understanding, you know, that those are literal slave ships too. And okay. that if I pass over people who have opportunity and I don't have patience the way I was passed up, then, you know, I'm not correcting the problem that I see in the first place. And mm -hmm. even though we've been together this long, I'm older than she is. I've been um, in other relationships and I didn't choose to stay with those women. 
And it was because I knew that they didn't have the traits that I saw in her. And so I didn't stay, I didn't stay in things that didn't have fruit or have a potential to, to yield something. Mm, I heard so much in that. And Ziada, I want to come to you really quickly, but I heard so, so, so much wisdom in that. And brother, I appreciate that because it really does help culminate a point that I was trying to make. I'm not sure if I reached it in some of these podcast series, but it's just the idea, like you said, of, um, you know, it's not to say to throw away the red flags or the or 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 the you know some of these alarming factors. I mean, you, from the outside, you may have looked like a whole red flag just to keep it a whole bunch, right? You may have looked like a whole you know raging red flag, but sometimes you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He's so merciful, and sometimes He puts our own divine healing and our own growth in another person, a mirror partner, someone struggling like us, someone on the same path. Ziada, I, you know, I just want to get your reflection really quick, just based on what our brother, dear brother and sister just shared. Uh, you know, I think he said it so well. I think, um, you know, that like he said, like, you know, you don't ignore red flags, like blatant red flags, but you, you begin to see the person for who they are also and understand that, like he said, he was overlooked and you don't want someone to overlook you as a whole human being because of some of the mistakes you may have made in your past, you know? Mm -hmm. And now that you are rightfully guided, you want the people to see how much you change and how much you work on yourself and transform. Um, and I think like he spoke about, you know, you, 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 if you've been in other relationships, you can see the traits and those other people that you've been with and realize, okay, that is not what's going to keep the relationship to last long or to be able to build with that person. And when you find that in someone, then you work through it. That is not always going to be easy. You're not always, no relationship is picture perfect. And I think yeah. we have to get that idea out of our mind. There's no storybook romance. It's just mm -hmm. not, you know, and you're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through different changes. That person is going to make you see yourself and some insecurities and things you don't like about yourself. They may tell you, you know, you've changed, you know. And so you have to be open and willing to want to grow and be better as a human being for yourself, but as for your partner as well. So it was, it was a and great I, I love it. And I wanted to just bring up a point. Um, sister, ja, you know, Jamila said that's very true. But from a sister's standpoint, that is very risky. Um, are we... Um, Okay, I'm gonna to go to you, Fatima, for a quick second. When we say about the risks, we may look and evaluate, you know, a, a potential partner and say, "Well, he's too risky. I ain't even gonna go down that road." How do you sort of navigate and just lean into trust first? I'm sure trusting the Creator, eventually trusting yourself, trusting your journey. I, you know, how do you make sense of the risk outweighing trust? And I want to say to help her oh, sure. too. Sure. It seems so like. You get to see the, the, the front end of that story, right? But this is the thing, because of my level of comprehension and things like that, um, I was, I knew how to be very, very presentable. And so I didn't look like a red flag by any means. Okay. And so that's why it was a lot more difficult for her. And I, I, that's why I say, I kind of think there might be like a, a misunderstanding. I would wear suits, you know, and things like that. I was very, very uh, 
clean. Very clean. Yeah, like if I was, people had no idea unless you were doing what I was doing. So to, to, okay. that, thank you. Yeah, it makes sense. And not really, then that we didn't, sorry. Then that we didn't really have enough time for, you know, in our courting process before, you know, getting pregnant, it was, you know, not really um, enough time for me to really choose or not. Because once I became pregnant is when I, when he revealed to me his, what he was doing in the streets and all that stuff. So I didn't really, you know, have that time to decide, okay, I want, you know, I don't want to date you. I do want to date you because of what you have going on. So I was already pregnant. So it's like, am I going to raise this kid alone? Or am I going to accept that and, you know, the risks and all of that with it? And I was still, I was a teenager. I was 17. So still living with my mom and still, um, in high school is just, you know, I didn't really have any choices, so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at the comments. <laughs> you know, that, that, was, that was true, though. I was, I, I was very, very, very good at it, so it wasn't fair to her at all. Like, uh, because I knew how to see inside of people, I knew how to make it seem like you couldn't see inside of me. Mm, mm. Thank you so much for your honesty, brother. I really appreciate it. It's very refreshing. I can tell you that much. Um, oh, subhanAllah. Okay, so how I wanted to just ask you guys this. Okay, mashallah, you had a you had this really trying start and you had to get through some of these um phases and then you had to relearn, like you said, establish friendship. Um, even through this process, after reestablishing the friendship, friendship, reestablishing the boundaries, did you also go through other stagnant stages? Um, was it, did you also face other hurdles that you had to navigate or since you've been through so much is sort of like a breeze now? Pretty much. I mean, it's pretty much been a breeze. I mean, we, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that comes up now is more of like life stuff. Yeah. Like, um, right now what we're going through, trying to, you know, run move our business. Yeah. Running our businesses, trying to move to Dallas, trying to sell our home, trying to, um, right now we're also going <clears throat> through, um, a custody battle with my younger son. So, you know, just trying to navigate all those things and still coming together and having that understanding of what things that, you know, each side is, you know, doing wrong and what we can do better and how we can better work together and planning for thinking everything. Yeah, and that's why that was kind of a hard question to ask because with us now, like, like this is my best friend. And like, yeah. so with us, it's, it's, it's personally like a breeze, but like I'm, I'm having one of my struggles that I'm going through right now is that uh, I'm learning uh, new ways to trade with a different account because I blew, um, my first account and how I, so we, we have, a, we have three mentors over us and they, um, to back up what my mentor said is, um, I'm, even though I am doing my best to do the right things and I'm living 100% legal, I'm so used to being risky that I'm even handling my business risky. Oh. And so, um, I would have, you know, majority of our funds tied up in the stock market and I would make a lot of money and then I would lose a lot of money and then I would make a lot of money. 
And so um, he was like, no, take that money out right now. You can have a small account to trade with. And I've never traded with a small account until recently, so I was really cash heavy. And I didn't know that the strategy I knew was cash heavy. So now I'm having to unlearn and relearn a new strategy. And um, there's some days where, like, I'm almost ready to be in tears because I'll have days to where I can turn $100 into $1,000 and then I might not be able to find a trade that I can trust to get into for weeks or at a time and stuff. So it's just personal things now that trying to deal with and not trying to put that negative energy onto her or onto my family. Wow. Beautiful. I mean, brother, can I just, I mean, and yes, I can we just say for a second, brother, I mean, and sister, mashallah, like your story is so inspiring. And now you're at a point right now where mashallah, you're independent, you're business owners, you're thriving. I mean, after imprisonment, after life in the streets, after so many trials, I mean, subhanAllah, I mean, Allah, Allah is so merciful, right, Ziyad and Yasmin? Allah is so incredibly merciful i mean yasmin what are your thoughts i'm just thinking first i want to acknowledge and affirm you all you know that you all have been through so much and to be here today is a blessing because it could have went a different way you know what i mean and i'm sure that you all if you're not making dua and thanking a lot that you came to the other side of it you know what i mean because it could have went a different way so I'm grateful to have met you all, you know what I mean? And to be able to see a brother that's loving on his wife in front of this whole crowd and calling her his best friend and she's blushing and all of that. I hope y'all keep all of that up because it, it, it matters. Those small things matter, you know what I mean? So I'm celebrating y'all from over here. SubhanAllah. And Ziada, what are some of your reflections about this? I just want to echo what Yasmin said for sure that, uh, you know, I definitely celebrate you all because you know, despite the challenges that you all face, you all still show love to one another. And I don't really see where there's like animosity toward one another. You all have really healed through this process. And sometimes that's really difficult, you know, especially dealing with infidelity and things of that nature. And because you are to learn how to trust the person again and believe genuinely that they are that they love you and that they want to be with you can be a challenge for others and definitely that struggle of leaving the street and making, you know, money and how you were deemed before is hard sometimes. That transition is it is really, really, really hard because it's not easy learn having to relearn how, like you said, learning how to live 100% honest and clean and not in the street anymore. I, I commend you. I mean, because again, like I told you, my brother definitely struggled with that. For sure, it, for years that has truly been his his jihad. That has really been his jihad. So I, I I definitely commend you all. You know I really do, and I pray that Allah continues to bless you all, and may He continue to pre- protect your family. I also want to commend um, the brother for turning his skills into something um, productive, because I you know I have a brother that's been in and out of prison, and some of the things that he learned that weren't so good, he learned how to use them for good. You know what I mean? So I want to commend you for doing that because sometimes people are not able to switch things around. And it looks like you've been able to do that. You just got to focus on those stocks and keeping that money right. Smaller accounts right now, right? That's great. <laughs> I just wanted to second what Yasmin said because I've always said that that most guys in the street are the most some of the most intelligent people you ever want to meet. Absolutely. And if they legitimize a lot of their the things that they're doing, the amount of money that they could really make 
you know, would be amazing because most of them are very brilliant human beings. And they go getters. They they like it ain't no stopping them, right? Like it's just mashallah, it's mashallah. Um, I I really just um I really just appreciate this. I wanted to just get some power. I mean, you guys dropped drop so many gems. And to be honest with you, I just really think, um, and probably Yasmin and um Ziada know this because you know personally this podcast was definitely maybe for me, <laughs> but it's just so, it's so, it's so helpful for me personally, um, subhanAllah, in so many different, different ways. Um, so I deep, deeply appreciate, I'll share that with you guys off screen, but I wanted to just get some last bits of advice. Um, I'm going to first start with you, if that's okay, Fatima. I wanted to just see if you could share some advice with, for us, with us as women, as wives, um, even us going into sort of navigating relationships and trying to figure out how to trust, how to lean into trust in ourselves and just keep kind of moving forward, um, getting past the hurdles, being patient. Um, could you just give us some um, last bits of advice for those of us out here that are still struggling? <laughs> yeah, um, for me, um, as I was going through my process of healing, one of the things that really worked was, um, I, I don't know if you've heard of the book, but it's called Naturally Beautiful by Sister Ava Muhammad. Um, I had, I was reading that in, through my healing process and was an actual book club uh, with, with Sister Center from the Nation of Islam. Um, and <clears throat> it just talks about, you know, being the second self of uh, God and stuff like that and just coming into your femininity coming to see your femininity can help you to learn yourself and learn can help you to learn yourself and that's one of the things that really helped me was learning the true me because for a long time I was what pretty much a replica of him the things that he liked the you know things that he loved you know loved to do and you know his interests but I never really took the time to know myself. So focusing on self is one of the things, you know, things that I, you know, could really say. That was helpful for you, powerful. And brother, could you please share some last bit of insight for our brothers? Um, I mean, a lot of, I mean, you, you were able to just really, like you said, see the queen in your woman, despite the, the, the mistakes, despite the challenges and, Sometimes a lot of our brothers have a hard time with this. Um, what are some last bits of advice you can give or offer? I could be there. Also, I'd like to ask um, y'all two questions a piece if you don't mind also. Uh-oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, understanding that as men, I believe that it's important that we really get back to genuinely supporting and understanding what it is to be a man. Don't don't follow any women on IG that are sexualizing themselves. Don't mm -hmm. do it. It really ain't cool. Like, you know, and I know that comes off as square for a lot of dudes. They're like, oh, you know, it's, it's just Cardi D or whatever. No, don't do it. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you're really supporting something that is victimizing them and yourself at the same time. If you don't know self-defense, you need to learn self-defense. You poke your chest out a little bit different when you know that you can be 
one of the most dangerous men in the room, you know, and for me personally, I'm, I'm a ranked fighter in the state of Texas. And so understanding, you know, like if it comes worse to worse, I can protect my family on the physical. And then understand that economics is war. And that if you can't secure a legacy and you understand that wealth is measured in time, not dollars, and that if you only have 10 months worth of savings that you can live off and not have to go to work, that's only 10 months worth of wealth. And that you need to find vehicles for business and investing so that way you can have something that works for you so that way you're not a slave to the cotton dollar. Mm. Powerful. Powerful. Uh, so for the questions, oh, my bad. Go ahead. No, go ahead, brother. You know, I, I, we waiting. We waiting. <laughs> so, uh, first question for all of y'all is what is the most important book you have read and why? Oh, my God. Child. Um, if, if, you know, of course the Quran, I'm going to start if that's okay. Of course the Quran, I know it's cliche, but it is, you know, it, it, it is the book of healing for myself. But Malcolm X, I was introduced really early, autobiography of Malcolm X. I was introduced when I was really, 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 really young, like even before I was able to actually read through all the words. It was read to me by my father. Um, and it was the way I, I sort of connected to my father and um, really understood um, I guess my position and my role as a woman. Um, so that was to me the beginning of the birth of love of reading and love of history and love of my people was um, that book. So that's that's mine. Siata? So I guess I have two. Uh, the first was for me was um, The Alchemist was uh, a really good book for me. And The Alchemist helps me to always like restore my faith in my humanity and just to understand that we all have our own personal um, destiny and that, um, you know, you may see some roadblocks, but it's really always that that it's inside of you to be able to reach those goals. So it was very transformative for me. And the other book that was really good was The Color of Money, um, Black Folks and the Racial Wealth Gap was really, really good. Um, it really spoke about bank, the banking system, and it dated all the way back from slavery to President Obama. And it spoke about, uh, you read that book? Yeah. yeah. It's in life. I mean, it, it definitely made me very angry while I was reading it, you know, because like, <laughs> it's just so many traps set out there for us. It's, it's, it's aggravating but it's, it's it's informative and it's a must read it actually is a must read it helps you how to manage your money more properly and to understand how investments um, outside of banks is 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 really what we should be doing so it's, it's a, it was a great book okay that's me all right so i got four actually oh, so y'all trying to do me whatever go on kind of hard to do, my, i was my first one of the first on the list is four agreements the Four Agreements is a really powerful book. Um, and that, another book is called We Will Shoot Back by Dr. Akinyele Omoja. Um, really powerful. Look it up. It's a very good book. And uh, We Will Shoot Back, Dr. Akinyele Omoja. And uh, I love The Coldest Winter Ever, Sister Soldier. Oh, yeah. Hey. And I really, really loved Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was a really oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Those are my four. Now I feel like I feel like, brother, you need to share yours. Yeah, I feel right. like yeah, I need to just go ahead and do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Okay. Um, I'll do two. One's a fantasy and one's a finance book. Um, so for the fantasy book, it is called um, the Dune series. Dune? Dune, D-U-N-E. Oh. And uh, it's a very, very old, it's, a, it's sci-fi, very old. It's like the grandfather of all sci-fi. But um, it gives you a look into um, a possibility of the future that uh, the European might be seeking. And mm -hmm. some of the things that they're doing, like he um, he studied Islam. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a European who wrote it. And he studied Islam very intimately, and he wove Islam into this. And uh, you could tell he had a reverence for it and a fear for it as well. And so mm. that theory, um, I feel, is very enlightening into how they think. And then um, Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that one is because uh, it helps give you an understanding of which directions money is made out of, why, what the languages are, and which quadrant we're in now, and how to get to a quadrant that will better uh, secure your legacy. And then actually, I'll, I'll do a self-love too. Um, a book that we um, sell to is the Private Banking Blueprint, which teaches you to become your own bank. So I'll, I'll do that one too. Private Banking. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. And you know, guys, this segues into our next our next series, which we're going to do the um, the accountability and um, the accountability and stability stability series, in which we're going to get a lot into finances and how to stabilize and how to keep ourselves accountable in our next podcast series. So this was just so 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 important. I deeply deeply appreciate this discussion. I cannot tell you how much it has really um, helped because number one, anytime you share and that you're that transparent and authentic, it's always going to land <laughs> in the hearts of others. So I just wanted to thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you, brother Elijah. Thank you, sister Fatima. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you deeply. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ziada, for rocking with us through Love and Restoration series. And thank you for sharing and contributing. Always. Thank you so much for always having this was this was really good. This is a great, great, great podcast. I'm grateful that you asked me to be a co-host. Um, it was better than I expected. It was really good. Honestly, yeah. really, good. Really, really, really good. And thank you so much as well. Yes, me for rocking with me and always being there with us. And thank you for your dope perspective on this one. You know, I've been making do on to be a part of this type of thing. And so I'm grateful to always be called on. It was interesting that, you know, I had some forgiveness I needed to do right before this episode. So I heard a lot of ways to forgive this yeah. couple of years. So I'm grateful. Grateful. And I just want to just reiterate again, you don't know how much you guys have personally um, helped me. So I just, again, honor and thank you so much. Jazakallah Kaiden. Thank you for our um, audience members, I know you guys benefited so much. Thank you for rocking with us for Love and Restoration. I absolutely love you guys. We had so much fun through this podcast series. Again, um, we're going to take a, a week or two, a couple weeks, a, a little bit of a break. Inshallah, I'll be announcing 
when we're going to launch our next podcast series, but stay tuned. But we will be talking all about stability. We will be talking all about accountability in our next series. And that's just the next phase after we restore, after we heal, after we restore, we now have to sustain. Um, so inshallah, jazakallah khairan. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful night. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah.